to the Motorsport of the Americas podcast. Uh, hopefully this week we've got the intro music all tuned and sorted out. Uh, we realized a little bit late on after the first episode came out that the intro music volume was substantially higher than the rest of the podcast. Uh, so hopefully that didn't startle you too much. Uh, and then last week we uh, we ran the intro twice. So I believe this week we've got it all straightened out. The intro music should come in at a nice reasonable volume. Uh, and only the one time at the beginning and the one time at the end. You know, so we're still uh, still very much kind of figuring this all out as we get started off this year. Uh, but I think we've got ourselves, uh, you know, all all set and ready to go this week, uh, which is great. It's just in time for you know another interview uh, that we had. This one was with Nathan Saxon. So you'll you'll hear from Nathan today. Uh, you know, as with all of our guests, you know, really gracious with their uh, with, with their time. And Nathan uh, joined us to talk about his career. Uh, getting started off in iRacing and how that progressed to on-track racing. Uh, he's also done quite a bit of driver coaching, and he talks about how his, his uh, engineering background kind of fits into all of the off-track data analysis. Uh, so, again, it, just a really great perspective uh, you know, you know, from him. And uh, you, we heard a little bit about what he's hoping to do uh, in 2024. He recently had an LMP3 test uh, over in Portugal, so he may end up uh, involved in, in some more LMP3 LMP3 driving uh, over in Europe later on this year. So uh, again, another great interview. Uh, we've we've had some really uh, interesting stories so far from Victor Gonzalez and Sally Mott. If you haven't checked those out yet, and uh, another great one this week from Nathan. Uh, in this past weekend, of course, the uh, IMSA WeatherTech Championship kicked off its 2024 season with the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona. Uh, our previous two guests, uh, Victor and Sally, were also down in Daytona. Uh, they weren't in the, the 24 itself, uh, but they competed in a couple of the support series races in the run-up to that event. Uh, Victor Gonzalez and VGRT, their two Hyundai Elantras, uh, competed in the TCR class in the Michelin Pilot Challenge race on Friday. That was a four-hour uh, endurance race. So all the teams there uh, used a pair of drivers uh, to navigate the four hours out on track. And uh, they got off to a good start. Uh, they, they placed 10th and 11th in class out of 17 TCR entries. Uh, so a good solid middle, middle of the pack finish to start off their season. And uh, they get a bit of a break now. Uh, the next IMSA weekend isn't until March. So plenty of time for them to, to rest, regroup, and get themselves ready to go again uh, in about four or five weeks' time. And also... Uh, Sally was out on track last week, so she was down uh, Daytona as well. She was uh, out on track on Thursday and Friday uh, in a pair of 45-minute races in the Mazda MX-5 Cup. And, uh, you know, as we heard from Sally, this is her first full season in the MX-5 Cup. And, uh, you know, she got off to a pretty good start. She On Thursday's race, uh, she qualified 23rd. And, uh, you know, at, at times during the race, it worked her way up. I think she was as, as high as 11th place at one point uh, and then was it, it kind of fell away a little bit in the second half of the race. I believe she had a bit of a mechanical problem. And uh, she went and wound up finishing 25th out of 29. Uh, and then Friday, she started 26th and fought her way up the field again and this time was able to secure uh, a higher position finish. Uh, she finished in 19th place on Friday. Uh, so good progress in terms of where she finished from Thursday to Friday. You know, something that she talked about this year is all just about, you know, just improving uh, and getting better, you know, lap by lap, day by day, and, uh, you know, round per round uh, of, of the season. And, uh, you know, 
another little stat that that is, is interesting as well. Uh, you know, her fastest lap on Friday was a full 1.6 seconds quicker than her fastest lap from the day prior. Uh, so again, you know, a little bit of improvement in position from one day to the next, and her fastest lap improved from one day to the next as well. Uh, we'll have links in the episode notes. Uh, you can check out Sally's Instagram. Uh, she does a really nice job of kind of documenting her weekend and sharing her thoughts. Uh, so you can check that out and, and hear a little bit more about how how uh, she enjoyed the weekend and how she thinks she did and and you know what what, what comes next for her. And uh, with that, we'll get to what comes next for us, which, again, is our interview with Nathan Saxon. Uh, So hopefully you enjoy that and uh, come back here, and we'll talk a little bit more on the other side. Okay, we're here with Nathan Nathan Saxon, an experienced uh, race car driver and also a, a driver coach who's been kind enough to take some time to talk about uh, his career on and off track and, and how he's gotten to, uh, you know, the point that he's at now with both his racing and his driver coaching and, uh, you know, what, what he kind of hopes is in store uh, for his future in, in, in both those aspects as well. So, again, just want to welcome uh, Nathan to the pod. We really appreciate you uh, taking some time to, to come on and talk to us today. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, enjoying this nice cold weather up here in the Northeast. I'm jealous of all of uh, fellow racers that are down in Daytona for the 24 of the week we're recording this. But um, yeah, happy to be here. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah, it seemed seemed a little bit nicer down there, though. Though we did we did break we did break above freezing today, so that was that was uh, that was exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, actually, actually, we we could start there. Where you uh, you just got back from from Portugal a couple of weeks ago, and, and in addition to the nice weather, what uh, what what had you over there? Um, so I was lucky enough to have an opportunity to be a part of the Mulner Motorsports LMP3 shootout. There, uh, they're doing. They're just trying to find some new talent to bring in. Uh, the ultimate goal of it is to fund us ride in Prototype Cup Germany. But uh, happy to be a part of that program and hoping to do the second and final test at Barcelona, regardless of the outcome. It was a lot better weather over there. Love the experience and uh, driving a LMP3 car is not too shabby either. And was that your, your first opportunity to, to drive an LMP3 car? Yeah, that was um, far and away the most professional race car that I've ever been in. Uh, it was a big transition from what I'm used to, even some of the other downforce cars that I've driven. It was, it was, it was a beast, and uh, I was lucky to have the opportunity to do it. I'm excited, hopefully, to do it some more. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this, you know, so this is you know your most recent experience. If you go all the way back to the, to the beginning for you was 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 back in 2018. Uh, you know, when you you got into to wheel to wheel racing for the first time. And um, what what would you been what had you been doing before then before you decided to start racing wheel to wheel? So that's where my story definitely differs from most. Um, my introduction into road racing was as a flagger at Thompson Speedway Motorsports Park, about an hour from my house. Back in high school and in the college, it was just a side job to have fun and you know summertime job. Uh, but I learned a lot about how that community is, learned a lot about what club racing is, and also how easy it is to get on track in an HPDE environment. So 
starting from there, uh, 2017, I actually bought a 1990 uh, bone stock Mazda Miata. I had just started a new job that I was halfway through college in my engineering program and um, decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to go try this, have some fun. Never thought I'd get to where I am now, but uh, started, did a couple track days that year. Uh, track night in America's really just introduction to track driving. And from there, 2018, I sold that thinking I, I want I want to do some racing. Um, that was the goal. And I've been not fortunate enough to get into it, into karting or anything younger than that. So uh, 2018, I was like, all right, I'm going to jump in, try something new. I actually, my first wheel-to-wheel race ever was a 24 hours of lemons race at Thompson Speedway, 125 cars on a 1.7 mile track. So uh, I think everyone can uh, can imagine what that might've looked like, but it was a great experience, had a lot of fun. Uh, I used some of my contacts at the track to get uh, my SCCA license through uh, the, the racing school, they called it back then um, at Thompson Speedway. Did that, did a regional in one of their cars, uh, and that's kind of where it took off. I, I met up with Nick Leveroni at Flat Out Motorsports, which is at least special in the Northeast, the biggest spec Miata specialist when it comes to renting and and arrive and drive experiences in SCCA. So I met up with him. We talked. I kind of jumped in feet first and ran a full New England region schedule in 2019. And from there, uh, things just kept growing. Hey, can, you, can you talk about that a little bit? You know, so if, if you're coming to it where, you know, like you said, with Flat Out Motorsports, where it's it's an arrive and, arrive and drive program. So does that mean that you you literally just show up that day with a helmet and everything else is, is there and, and ready to go? Yeah, so that's the beauty, especially if you're starting out in club racing. I'd recommend everyone at least do it a little bit, even if you have the ambition to have your own car at some point. Um, but you can just show up to the track with your gear and the cars are there and a team as professional as flat out, you know, you know what you're getting. You know you're going to get a car that you don't have any excuses, which we're racing drivers. So we always have some kind of excuse, but the car is not going to be it. Um, you can show up to the track. They have coaching available and you can really just show up and start progressing instead of just fiddling around with a car in a garage for 12 months before you even get to hone the uh, driving skills. And do they, you know, at, at that time, especially where you're just starting out, uh, do they provide, you know, kind of coaching and feedback and, and, and all that sort of stuff as well? Is it kind of like a, an all-encompassing experience? Yeah. So and that's, that was the introduction for me to what data and video analysis was. Um, so they all have systems in the cars. Um, Nick is a great coach and great person to go over data with. They have years of log data to kind of compare to. So I really took interest in that as has continued in my career. Um, being an engineer as well, that nerdy uh, squiggly lines on a piece of paper made a lot more sense to me than it's going to be to some people. Um, but interpolating that into finding speed and just growing confidence. And I was happy with how quickly I developed and 
got up to speed relatively quick, especially at the regional level to start out. And then from there, you know, so 2020, I, you, know, you started off with a, a win at Road Atlanta uh, in Champ Car. Now, what, what was your original plan for, for 2020 before uh, other things occurred? So coming off 2019, where I ran only New England region races in SCCA, did really uh, what I felt was well. Wanted to take a next step up, which was going to stay in Specniata. I was going to run probably more in the majors level, which for you, for those that don't know, there's regionals, majors, and then SCCA Super Tour is the top level of club racing in the U.S. So this was kind of the middle ground, maybe poke into some Hoosier Super Tours a few times, but it was just going to be a step up from what we did in 2019. Obviously, the pandemic changed all that. I was fortunate enough to start off the season in February before all that hit with racing in the snow at Road Atlanta in a Dodge Neon, which was a, an interesting experience to say the least. But as a Northeasterner, I was definitely more at home than uh, a lot of the Southern guys, which probably was to our advantage. But yeah, it was it was a good start. And then, yeah, obviously the world shut down and we all hunkered down and got on the simulators. And was that your your first experience with with sim racing? Is that something that you had done a little bit before or you know, how did that all how did that all you know, what was that like in 2020 for you? Was that all new? So Sim racing wasn't new, and the, the way it worked out worked out really well for me. Um, I've been on iRacing since 2011, so I had certainly been around it for plenty of time. I was the guy with his Logitech G27 strapped to a desk with a wheelie chair, like nothing set up at all. And at the end of 2019, which was, turned out to be the perfect time, I up to, upgraded, got some Fanatec stuff, got triple screens and said i'll make this a little bit more of a training tool for me if i'm going to start doing more serious stuff on the racing side and then when the pandemic hit i was in the position where i had the gear which no one could get at the time um and every, everyone was building a simulator so everyone was getting on iRacing everyone's getting on all these simulators um and it, it was it was honestly a great couple worlds coming together because that's not necessarily where i started but it's what got me introduced to racing and it, it was it was kind of cool to see that all come together and sim racing in general get the recognition that it frankly deserves and especially the guys that are at the top level of sim racing were able to be introduced to the racing world and show what they could do as well and then that led to an opportunity when when you're able to get back out onto a uh on a, a, a real track back when things are, you know, a, a little bit closer to normal. And, and what, what was that like? You get to drive a, a Formula 4 car. Yeah, so Skip Barber, there it was their first Skip Barber E-Race series, um, which has continued on. The first year it was on Assetto Corsa, which is a game that I didn't have any experience driving on. And it was a tough, it was kind of a uh, tough system to get used to and get logged in for it. But I committed a lot of time to that. Um, way too many Sundays, way too many being the uh, the person screaming at his computer because it, it was something wasn't working. But I spent every second I had to um, commit to that. I ended up second in the 
championship, which afforded me half a season of the Skip Arbor Race Series, as well as five days of race school with them. Uh, it was a super valuable experience. I never, up to that point, I'd run Spec Miatas, so I had never thought to even get in a car like that. Um, the MyGale F4 cars were awesome. The instruction Skip Barber, I learned way more than I could have even thought I would have at that point. Uh, and it was really a transformative year <laughs> um, going from racing at little tracks around me like Thompson or Palmer or New Hampshire to racing. At the end of that year, we raced as a support series to IndyCar at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, so to not only race there, but I had the ch opportunity to stand on the top step of the podium. It was a life-changing and direction-changing experience for me and kind of something that's pushed me to keep going and what I'm doing. And every, every year new stuff comes along, but I, I don't know what can compare to uh, winning at Indy. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's a that's definitely a, a goal that you hear a lot of, of drivers talk about that they you know they want to get there at some point, um, and yeah, I mean that that's you know I guess that puts a really kind of positive spin on what was you know obviously a really really difficult time, and you were able to sure. able to kind of make the most of it, and it sounds like you upgraded your sim rig uh, at at just the right time as well, so a little bit of a little bit of good fortune to plan ahead there as well, uh, and you know just just talk about that a little bit more about going from a, a spec Miata to an F4 car and, you know, a, a car that has down fours and, you know, what, what stood out to you straight away the first time that you, you took the F4 car out uh, in comparison to, you know, having been in the Miata previously. Well, coming from spec Miata, I mean, you're, everything's different from being an open top to as much as a Miguel F4 car in the, the trim that we ran them in isn't a power car. It felt it compared to a 100-horsepower spec Miata. But the biggest thing to adjust to, and it's still something that I adjust because I've had the chance to drive some Radicals lately as well as the LMP3 car, it's the braking. It's completely different. You don't have assistance at all um, with the pedal, so you've really got to put a lot of force into it. And also the, te the technique is completely different. You really want to give it that hard spike at the beginning where if you did that in a spec Miata, it's, uh, it gets into locking. And at that point in my career, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? Going into there after only one real racing season. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. So it was, it was a completely different experience, but I'd say the braking was something to really get used to. And, uh, it's something I'm still, uh, working on in those kind of cars for sure. Yeah, and I mean, can it be difficult to switch back and forth? So if you're in a spec Miata, then you're in an F4 car, then you're back in the spec Miata. Like, is, or does it get a little bit easier over time to kind of, I, I don't want to say remember what car you're in, but to, to kind of make those adjustments back and forth when you're in different types of cars? It definitely is. And it, the more time you spend in either type of car and the more you start to understand why you're doing what you're doing, it definitely gets easier. So I... I jumped back into a spec Miata middle midway through that whole experience and was faster than I've ever been in a spec Miata. So things definitely carry over. And as much as the techniques may differ a little bit, it's, it's a transition that can be made. Yeah. So then you, you continued in 2021 
actually really the last the last three years uh you know still in a still in the the spec miata so how did you know how did how did those last couple seasons go for you so 2021 was what 2020 was supposed to be so the skip barber thing ended i didn't have any funding to really continue on that path so i went back to racing with flat out i had a lot better season than before like i said i the skip barber experience definitely elevated my driving went back showed up to Watkins Glen for my first super tour got a podium said okay well we're back in uh we're having success so the goal was to race at Indy again uh this time at the SCCA runoffs uh which turned out to be a super stacked field uh, I ended up 17th in the final race and they had so many entries for that race that they actually had to do a heat race because there was over 100 cars that wanted to get in I believe it was 72 that started the final race which was actually incredible how clean the racing turned out to be and a big testament to the the people in the race as well as spec Miata drivers, which we can get our, uh, we can get our bad raps at times, but especially with 72 cars, Indy, 72 cars yes. out there all at the same time. Yeah. There's some really good pictures from 72 spec Miatas going to turn one at Indy. Um, and we made it through turn one, both on the start and the restart. So I was proud of that as for everybody. But it was a super stacked field. If you look back, there's videos on YouTube of it. And I mean, everyone that's who's who in Spec Miata at the time was there and national champions. So it was a eye-opening experience. I hadn't really run with that in that kind of environment with that many fast guys all at once in Spec Miata. So to jump in it and get a top 20 out of it out of 100 cars, I was definitely excited about. Um, and then, yeah, going into 2022, jumping right in. So uh, Flat Out decided to come up with a Spec MX-5 program, which for those of you that, that don't know, is a relatively new class and is the stepping stone from Spec Miata to Global MX-5 Cup. Now just um, it's the Whelan MX-5 Cup running alongside IMSA. So it was the stepping stone into that. Uh, races with the NC generation Miata. It has ABS, power steering. It, it's 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 definitely the halfway point. Uh, so we started out with that program. I got tasked with doing a lot of the driver coaching for that, which helped me uh, a little bit with affording that season. And we ran 2022 and 2023. Pretty similar results, both... Um, on the track and off the track. So 2022 is definitely a building year. Really showed a lot of speed at times. Unfortunately, had some mechanical gremlins hit us in the championship race, which was unfortunate. Uh, this year, took a step up, won some really big national races, and uh, went to VIR for the championship race and had a pretty pretty big incident. So. Uh, championship races didn't work out those two years, so it was definitely a year of up and down. But I also got invited both seasons as a finalist to the Mazda MX-5 Cup shootout, which was certainly an honor to be a part of. Yeah, we had uh, Sally Maud on last week that uh, she, she went to that in 2023 as well. And, uh, you know, she talked about how that was kind of – it sounds like, you know, the word shootout, it sounds like it's just, you know – you all turn up and race and and that's it but there from what i understand there's, there's a little bit more that goes into it than than just the just the on track stuff what else kind of goes on uh at, at those types of events 
Um, it's 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 everything. It's media. It's how you're approaching it. They're looking for a sustainable person to continue on in their series. Um, at the end of the day, a lot of the on-track stuff we we were getting coached by some of the best in the business. Uh, it was an honor to be a part of it both years and be competitive. I was I was certainly close. It was disappointing to walk away without uh, scholarship both times, but uh, it's it's still a awesome experience and something that I definitely definitely helped me elevate my driving and give me confidence moving forward. Yeah, you talk about kind of the, the off track stuff that they focused on, uh, you know, and and you know the scholarships and all this. As as you progress through all this, right? So starting off with you know back in 2018 and kind of going up through the steps and competing at higher and higher levels, uh, you know, how much of a you know first of all you have a you, know, you have a, a separate career as well, uh, you know. So how does all this kind of how do you navigate all that? How do you navigate the the, the increased time commitment, the financial commitment? Now, there's there's certainly a lot that goes into it. Yes, definitely. Um, it's it's been tough to say the least. I mean, it's been always trying to scrounge for that funding to continue on. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm a full time mechanical engineer. I work plenty of hours at my day job so that's always tough luckily i'm in the situation that i'm able to get some time off to do this racing stuff do my coaching on the side but i the throughout my career it's elevated every year uh every every year both the scale of my racing as well as the costs at the on the back end definitely rise uh, it's just managing that i have a couple of great partners that have helped me uh, a little bit financially as well as just finding some business, trying to put deals together, which is sponsorship in especially sports car racing. It's all of what's going on on the back end. It's trying to find B2B deals, trying to find who can fit right to your program, because as hard as it is to find, there is perfect conditions out there that work for businesses. It's just trying to find them, which I'm sure everybody that knows about motorsports has an idea of how hard that can be. Uh, but at the same time, between my engineering job, which is, it's helped fund a lot of what I've done. I've got my coaching stuff on the side. I now do a lot of private coaching. I'm, I'm at the racetrack whenever I can, and that's that's helped grow grow my career as a business and make it a more sustainable sustainable effort going forward regardless of how it works out but i one of the one of the things i'll definitely touch on is i've recently been a part of a company called racing prodigy so their whole initiative is to eliminate that barrier of entry at least financially and they're doing it through the e to real pipeline which is sim racing uh, i was part of as part of their Prodigy Week event that they did at Atlanta Motorsports Park late this year, they're going to do another one early next year, and their goal is to make it make a series. They make a series that drivers are drafted based on skill and talent and media presence versus just who has the uh, who has the pocketbook supporting them, which is really cool. And um, the guys, the guys that are part of that and have push to make that a reality are doing a great thing. It's something that motorsports needs. It needs some kind of pipeline. It needs 
the fastest drivers to get seats. And that, that's not just talking about me. That's talking about all these other sim racers that come out. Uh, out of everyone that showed up to that event, I probably had the most time in a real car. A lot of them had just come in from sim racing. Maybe they had done one or two track days. And these guys are the best of the best at iRacing and Seto Corsa and whatever simulator they got pulled from. And it was a it was a dogfight on who was the quickest. So uh, real good competition. And I'm really excited as that program evolves to hopefully be a part of it, be a part of the series and really be a part of that ride and that initiative to break that cost of that cost to get in the seat because it's certainly something that dissuades a lot of people. And as much as we all push through it, there's, there's certain limitations for everybody. So um, I'm excited to be a part of that. Yeah. I, it's funny. I, I, that sounds, you know, it, I, again, if, if you're, you know, someone like me that, 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 you know, has kind of really come to following motorsport closely recently, if you follow other sports, that's kind of almost the, the expectation that there's a development program in place. And, you know, if, if you can play basketball, someone's going to, someone's going to find you, right. Someone's going to find you playing and give you the opportunity. And uh, you know, the, the, your skill level is, is, is sometimes the biggest, you know, that that's the only real barrier that you have to overcome. And, and, you know, there's, there's kind of ways to, to get around everything else or, if you look at you know professional baseball and soccer teams, I mean they have, you know two, three, four, five other teams at lower levels, uh, just trying to you know kind of move players along and give them the opportunity. Um, so when I first really started getting into racing, I was just really kind of a bit naively, but just kind of surprised that, that there really isn't much of anything like that 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 exists. It just kind of seems like, uh, you know, again, it's it's hard enough to be it's for, for my sim racing experience, it's hard enough to be good at sim racing. Uh, you know, I probably spend just as much time off the track as on it, uh, you know, but then you've got to kind of figure out all this other stuff, uh, you know, uh, uh, along the way as you go. And, and I imagine there's probably some people that, you know, just aren't able to figure that part of it out. Or like you said, you know, they, they kind of get discouraged and, and something that could have been a career for them, you know, just kind of has to get pushed off to the side. Um, and and your, your coaching, is that, is that kind of part of it as well? Do you, in addition to the actual coaching of the drivers, are you able to kind of try and steer them in the right direction um, with the with the, the off-track stuff that comes along with it? Yeah, so what I've, the philosophy I've taken as a coach is I, I just want to help whoever it is achieve what they're going to achieve. So I have, I have clients that are just out there. They want to have fun. They want to get better. They want to not crash the, crash the car that they're in um, while still getting to the higher levels of club racing, whatever level that is. I also have younger guys that are trying to make a career out of it. And I really do focus on a lot of the off-track stuff. So going in every race weekend, just like I would do, I try and persuade them to uh, create track maps, find YouTube videos or whatever data we have to back it up on, regardless of who's been to the racetrack before. That off-track stuff, both preparation as well as kind of guiding them in the right way. So if someone wants to make a career in it, I've been around the industry enough to know where you can get noticed. Now, where you have to find funding or whatnot, that's, I, I can, I can help push you in the right direction, but uh, 
yeah, I, I know where the people are that can notice you and try and try and help them move along. And like I said, a lot of the clients I have, they just want to go racing. They want to have fun. They want to be the best that they can be. And I certainly can help with that as well. But it's it's been enjoyable, regardless of if I'm in a car or not that weekend, to see the progression and see someone apply what we find on data and video and see them go out and do it and have success. It's as rewarding to me, I think, as uh, making that winning pass as seeing uh, seeing one of my customers do it. Yeah, and what you know, what types of you know, are you able to you know do all this you know. What, you're at the track with them or remotely, uh, you know, uh, you know, what I guess to say is, you know, is what, what is your, you know, what's your preferred environment? Do you like to be there you know, with them in the moment or do you find that maybe they're able to kind of absorb the feedback that you give them uh, if, if you if it takes place after the race so that, you know, you're watching a video with them and now they're not in the car maybe they've kind of cooled off from, you know, kind of actually being out there in the moment. Is there, is there kind of a, a, a more ideal way to give that type of feedback? Yeah, I, I pulling from my engineering background, I'm trained um, through school to really take some technical stuff that I, I might be thinking in my head, I might find on the data and try and bring it to terms that somebody who just got out of a race car is going to understand and be able to apply instantly. So it, that data and video review is so valuable and, I don't think there's enough recognition of it as much as there is in the racing world, but even in the, even in a track day environment, I I don't do much right seat coaching anymore. I find it way more valuable to review and trying to get some goals in people's head going out in every session, both to find lap time or if you're in a race situation and, you know, you got to work on your starts and you got to be aggressive in a turn one versus laying off because it's going to be better for you in the end. I, there's such a wide range and the difference between an instructor and a coach is the coach is going to do whatever they need. So if that driver needs a pep talk before they get in the car every time, well, I'll pat them on the back and try and try and hype them up if they need something in the car at the time then we can do radio it's it's such a wide range of different things people need to be fast it's just like learning in school some people are going to learn 10 different ways uh, and a good teacher is going to be able to find that way and get that student to figure out what they're trying to get across so um it's it, the, the, my preferred way i'm definitely someone who likes being at the track i mean the environment at the track is what I love being at anyway. So I, I'm certainly not, certainly not feeling like I'm stuck in an office when I'm at the racetrack, but I, that's definitely the most effective way I found it. And just reviewing with a couple people after every session and getting them, getting them what they need to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, mean, I think part of it too, is if you're, you know, if they're able to kind of go out there and, and, and put some laps in, just kind of trying to figure things out on their own and then you can maybe kind of show them actually you know what you were taking this corner really really well and you know kind of balance it out a little bit more where maybe they're doing some of their own learning um as opposed to you know if you're sitting you know if you're sat next to them the you know the, the whole way around the track um and and you do this with sim racing as well what is the is that i'd imagine that's somewhat of a different challenge to, to work with someone that is is sim racing 
Yeah, I mean, I, I've done a little of that. I'd say the biggest thing sim racing wise that I've done coaching with is actually my in person, like uh, my real world coaching clients and showing them how to prepare on the simulator because there's there's so many things you can work on and there's so many ways you can approach it. And some people are going to look at it completely the wrong way. It's it's not a one-to-one exact skills are going to apply. The brakes can be exactly the same. But one of the things you find, and I saw it with the Racing Prodigy stuff, as well as some of the Skip Barber, uh, some of the other people who got scholarships, if you learned, I, I think everyone that's fast on a simulator can be fast in a real car. That doesn't necessarily go the other way because a lot of people feel that seat of your pants um, feeling and that's what they drive off of. And you certainly need to take that into account. But using your dexterity in your hands and getting that fine motor skills, regardless of how you approach it, you're going to be able to learn it. So I, I try and get my coaching clients every year to go through and maybe they need to work on consistency. So get used to a car on whatever simulator you want to do and just do 10 lap runs and see how consistent you can be or put yourself in a qualifying situation and see if you can be in the zone and maximize everything you've got for that one or two laps. There's so many situations you can replicate, uh, but that's most of the sim racing coaching I do is applied to the real world, which I found a lot of success in myself. And I'm trying to trying to pass that along. Yeah. As far as like the, the sim racing setup, some people have a, a pretty extreme one where it, it, it almost looks like they're actually in the car. Uh, and then some people like me have a, an office chair down in the basement. Uh, you know, is there, you know, is there like kind of a minimum level of, of setup that you need to have to, to really kind of benefit and, 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 and be able to learn from it? Or is it just whatever you can, whatever you can get is, is, is good way to get out and do it. Uh, general misconception, whatever you can afford. If you can afford to play on your PlayStation with a controller, you can, it, it'll help. It's at any level helps. Obviously the more you upgrade the gear, maybe the more realistic you can make the experience. But I, I, when I started, I got, I was proud of getting to speed really quick in a real car. And all that came from was, like I said, a Logitech steering wheel. That was probably 200 bucks when I bought it strapped to a desk with a wheelie chair and one monitor and a computer that probably wasn't up to standards at the time when I first started. Uh, so, yeah, no, you don't need anything special. Just, just get on it and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Last question. Uh, yeah. What, what are one or two things that, that, that when you start working with the driver, uh, stand out to you is there is there some issue or something that they do that jumps out right away that that you can that you can try and help them with like what would be kind of the one thing that that you know you could spend just a little bit more time thinking about uh you know with whatever type of racing that you're doing well i mean if it yeah if anyone's listening and wants the first thing you can look at it's the complete opposite of what everyone does everyone goes out on track and they say i'm gonna break at the two board i'm gonna be braver than everybody else and then they're the slowest car on track because they <laughs> didn't get through the corner with any speed. I mean, if you're in a Miata or a TA2 car or an LMP3 car, it's it's all going to be about minimum speed and it's all going to be about your exit. And that's going to be the biggest time gainer. So anyone doing track days and wants to improve a little bit of time, just 
work on that rolling speed from the point where you start releasing the brake and turning into the corner to the point where you're full throttle that's the most important point on the track it's obviously done a couple different ways depending on the type of car you have but yeah it's 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 all that it's all that min speed and getting the best exit off the corner is going to help you in every situation far and away beyond anything else um once once you've gotten the basics down that's definitely what you need to focus on so so breaking as late as humanly possible is not the way to go it would be the it, eventually yeah you get there eventually <laughs> but uh yeah that's that's not where you're going to find your time that's where you're going to uh win races maybe but you're not going to be at the uh guy's bumper to make the pass if you don't get a good exit sure sure all right. Well, again, Nathan, we really appreciate you uh, taking some time today to kind of go through, you know, uh, you know, your your career and your your uh, your driver coaching and, and everything else that, that that goes into it. And uh, again, we really really appreciate it, and uh, we hope to have you back to to see how uh, you know your career continues to develop. I appreciate it, Thomas, and uh, I will say to anyone out there that wants to get into it, just just do it. Uh, it's uh, it's a daunting task to uh, to get into, but it doesn't matter how old you are, or what your background is, just just start something and, you know, you never know where you're going to end up. some really good stuff there from nathan and hopefully you enjoyed that as well uh you know we'll be looking to meet up with him later on this summer uh as as we both kind of alluded to he, he lives in rhode island uh the closest track to him is thompson uh down in rhode island and i live in massachusetts and uh, thompson's about a half hour drive uh, away from my house as well so that uh, seems like a convenient place hopefully for the two of us to uh, meet up this summer and and kind of see him do uh do, do his driving do his coaching in person and uh, you know, maybe we can pick up a couple more free tips as well. You know, the the one tip that he mentioned at the end there about uh, you know not not being too obsessed with being the last person to hit the brakes. Uh, you know, going into going into a corner. That's definitely something that when I when I keep that in mind and when I'm not too too frustrated with how my my own sim racing is going, uh, I definitely find that that actually really does help. That you you're better off kind of getting onto the brakes early. Uh, making sure you go into the turn and come out with a good amount of speed and then kind of seeing seeing how much later you can break from there uh, as opposed to you know what do you what do you advise not to do which is i'm just going to wait until what i think the last possible second is stand up on the brakes and just kind of see if i can actually uh catch a glimpse of an apex and go from there um, so again you know really uh it's been it's been very enjoyable so far you know to, to kind of hear these these stories and it's interesting about how you know, we've had three different race car drivers uh, who've all kind of found their way to where they are in three different ways. You know, Victor got his his journey started all the way back. You know, in in Puerto Rico, uh, you know, he found his way into uh, you know into NASCAR at one point. Uh, Sally got hooked uh, through you know karting and, and her father. And, uh, and Nathan actually never did any karting. You know, he he did i racing for several years. Uh, he had a part time job working at a you know working alongside a track and. You know, kind of one thing led to another, and he's had uh, you know a very successful driving and coaching career from there. Uh, so that's what we're you know that's what we're really hoping to do is just keep trying to you know 
share these enjoyable stories that uh, that, that, that so many drivers and, and team owners uh, have, and, and you know, their their I think their passion for for motorsport really kind of comes through when when they when they talk to us, and hopefully you've uh, you know you you've really enjoyed that and kind of felt that as well. And uh, we'll we'll look for that to continue next week. Uh, we'll get another perspective from Ian Lacey. Ian Lacey uh, runs a, a racing team uh, by that name, Ian Lacey Racing, uh, out in Utah. And Ian's been at it since uh, as far back as, as 1993. Uh, he got his start for a couple of years in, in autocross, which is you know a, another great avenue uh, into racing that we that we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, but it's you know back in 1993, and certainly today, uh, autocross is a, a very accessible. Uh, by which I mean affordable way to to do some racing and, and put yourself up against the timer and uh, and see how you can do and, and compare yourself to other drivers. So we'll hear all about uh, you know his his start and his progress and you know, owning his own shop and and the uh, you know the the unique setup that he has uh, out for him out in Utah. Uh, so again, that'll be next week. Uh, that'll be episode number four. If you haven't checked out one and two, you know, please do give it a listen. Uh, you can subscribe to you know this podcast anywhere that you may get your podcast from. Uh, you know, thanks to our our host Acast, which really uh, it couldn't make it any easier to put together a podcast, uh, edit it, you know, and, and, and put it out there. And, and again, aside from the uh, aside from the intro music, sometimes being a little bit off, uh, it's actually been a pretty easy way to get started. Uh, so hopefully, again, you've enjoyed it so far. Uh, check out our Substack as well, which we'll link to in the episode notes. And uh, we hope to see you back here again next week.